Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. My name is Tyler, and I have the privilege of leading alongside of my wife, Lee. We're glad that you are with us, glad that you'd make the time to be together. If, you are, if you're in the room and collective is new to you, or church is new, or you're trying to figure out how to connect, we'd love to meet with you in the lobby after the service. Today we have a guest speaker. And her name is Nadia Zaversenuk. And Nadia is someone that if I have the opportunity to brag her up publicly and speak about the impact that she's had in a very short time in our life, I will take it. And I have the microphone. And I don't think that I'll get muted. So that's good. Uh, Nadia, you know those people that you spend time with and the first time you spend time with them, they just energize you and you're like, yeah, I want to do that again? That was what it was like. I met Nadia when I spoke at Western Worships last year. And then when I was like, hey, Lee, do you want to meet with Nadia? And then she met with Nadia and she's like, man, Nadia's like just energizing. And I was like, yeah, I told you. And so Nadia has been someone that's been an encouragement to us. And she's an encouragement on multiple levels. One, she has a gift of encouragement. But also, also what I value about Nadia is that Nadia is someone that is learning that is apprenticing, that is growing, that wants to learn and grow, and I'm drawn to people like that, that aren't just going, yeah, I figured all of this out, but instead are constantly wondering, God, what are you leading us to as the church, as a leader? What are you saying? How are you guiding us? And, and that's incredibly encouraging for us. She also has some gifts that I don't have, and I'm really grateful for that. She's a, an amazing connector and, and, uh, and she's someone that has been impactful. So when I asked her about coming and, and speaking the, the first time, I was really excited. And then saying, coming, will you come back again? And when she said yes, I was like, good, we didn't scare her off. So that's always, that's always good. Um, but I want you to know that even for me, that, that the people that we invite in, that for Lee and I, that we invite in are people that are, are valuable to us and we believe will be valuable to our church. And so we're in this series on Sabbath. Last week I spoke on stopping. This week Nadia is speaking on resting. And, and what the feedback especially heard from last week was how much for so many of us this need for Sabbath is significant. So many of us are running at a pace that we should not be running at. And we know it and we just don't know what to do with it. And so our hope is as a church that we can provide some tangible things we would call this a spiritual practice. And if you think about a practice, it's the idea of trying something until it becomes more and more natural to you. And so we want not just to be a church that gathers on a Sunday to hear someone teach that is significant, but we want to go, what does it look like to take what we're learning and to apply it in our lives? And the best way to do that is in community. And so if you're not in a co-group, our co-groups are smaller gatherings that help happen through the week, it's what takes this away from being in rows to around a table or around a coffee table or in someone's home or living room. 
And if you're not in a co-group, you are missing out on a significant portion of this experience because we have something that's, a, that's kind of a companion guide that causes us to go, yeah, what does it look like to take tangible steps, practical steps to applying this practice of Sabbath into my life? And I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to let someone else hold me accountable when I do or don't do what I say I'm going to do. And so people that go, hey, how'd that go? And you go, it was really hard. Yeah, me too. So what are we going to do differently this week? Because for us as a community, we are not just a community that learns from one. We learn from each other. We have to grow together. And so if you're not in a co-group, I give you permission while Nadia comes up to go to collectivechurch.ca, click on co-group at the top, and sign up. Nadia, if you want to come up, and I'll pray for you and then start us off. God, I'm so grateful for Nadia. I'm grateful for her family. I'm grateful for her influence. God, I thank you for her impact in London and beyond. God, I pray that you would be the one that speaks through her, that your words would cut to our heart, that, that all the noise that we have, all the things that are causing us to be focused on something else would quiet and your still small voice would catch our attention and we'd hear you. Holy Spirit, come. Move in power. God, we need you. And so I pray that you would move, that you would use Nadia, and that your words would come through her. God, we need you, we love you, we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hello, everyone. Hello. I'm so thankful to be here again at Collective Church, and I want to say happy Sabbath to each of you who's started to practice Sabbath day, and perhaps that's on a Sunday for you. I know Sabbath for me is generally on a Sunday, and if you're practicing Sabbath today and this is the start of your practice, I pray that my words inspire you. Thank you, Tyler and Lee, for having me back and for your kind words. I am too inspired by the two of you and how you're working so hard to grow and disciple this church and this community. And it's just an honor to be here. I love coming here. I was here last summer. And when I was here last summer, for those of you that were here, um, I announced that my son had just got married. And so that was cool, right? Like, because I don't look old enough to have a son who could get married, of course. <laughs> And so now I have to announce that among my titles uh, of mother-in-law, mother, wife, other things that people call me that I don't get to hear, I will be Nana this June. Yes. So they got started right away. And I am so, so thankful. In fact, I think, quite frankly... I remember clearly sitting like a long time ago in one of those like networking things where they said questions to get to know you thing. And one of the things they would ask me is, you know, what do you, you want to be when you grow up? And I'm like, a nana. I've always wanted to be a nana. So this is, this is extraordinarily exciting for my husband and I. And so, so yes, please pray for a healthy baby. So far, he's a little 14-ounce nugget, and I love him so much. So. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, for those of you that are new, welcome. We're so happy that you're here and you've decided to come to Collective Church. I am Nadia Zversnik. I operate in my day job as the executive director of New Life Prison Ministries. Check us out. I'm not here to talk about that specific ministry today, but it's a cool ministry. I'm also a registered psychotherapist, and I'm about seven weeks away from graduating with my Master's of Divinity and Clinical Counseling. Yes, who's counting the days? Me. I am counting the days and the papers the papers left that I have to do. Uh, I need you to all know that when I think about Collective Church, when I pray for this community, and I do that quite often because I get to be in touch with Tyler and Lee, 
I know that the Holy Spirit is working here. I can feel it every time I enter the space. You're so dedicated to prayer. I think I was prayed over today three or four times. And I love that about this community. And I know that Tyler and Lee are working tirelessly to make sure that you guys know the way of Jesus. And so it was no surprise to me, actually, that Tyler reached out in the fall, late fall. Um, He said, hey, did you get my email? And I said, no, but I was thinking about you kind of like begging to come back and speak. And he's like, I sent you an email two weeks ago, and it was in my junk folder. So it's absolutely no surprise to me that he's focusing on uh, spiritual disciplines. I have this beautiful, like, helicopter view of how God's moving through church leaders and communities. And one of the things that I get to see is how he's speaking to the church as a whole. Because none of these leaders that I work with get to know, like they don't talk to each other. They don't even belong to the same denomination. They're not like connected in any way. But I am kind of this paraministry person that's outside of the church that gets to see how the movement of God is working in these communities. And what I am noticing very firmly planted is this desire to move back to the basics to spiritual disciplines, to learning what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus, a student of Jesus. So I'm sitting here today wanting you to know that even though I've been a Christian for, I lose track now, I think it's 17 or 18 years, um, I am still a student. Uh, You know, Tyler mentioned this in my intro. I am a humble student who is learning along with you. And so I need you to know also that you are not alone in wanting to learn these basics. There are communities across Ontario, at least that I know of, that are moving in this direction of practicing the way of Jesus. And so I I have to say, be, um, be encouraged that you're not alone. I need you to know that the desire to remind Christian communities to go back to the basics is coming from God. And as you have already started to realize that rhythms and practices of Christian people, it's counterculture. It's different. We look different. We act different. We say different things. And we should. Dare I say so boldly, we should be different than the world. So Sabbath practice, really, from the way of Jesus, is kind of a bit of a battle or a war against this restlessness that the world exhibits every single day. From my perspective as a therapist or just an average human who's struggling with restlessness myself, most people that I meet, that I come across, are restless. I'm not sure what you came away with last week when Tyler said you must stop from your daily rhythms and take a day off. I'm sure he did a fantastic job, but I'm sure you came away going, you know, one of two things fell into your brain, you know. You were either completely anxious, thinking, how am I going to get it all done? Those 24 hours, like on Sabbath day, I need those hours just to function as a regular human, as a worker, as a mom, as a dad, as a student, wherever you're coming from. I need those 24 hours. Tyler's asking me to stop, and I am not going to do that. I'll tell him I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to do that. I'll just check my email like every hour instead of every two minutes. Or you came away in another category, you started instantly romanticizing this deep, beautiful, wonderful, loving day with Jesus through the meadows, flowers all around, you can picture it. And then you stopped and went, that's never going to happen, it's impossible for me, I'm not that Christian or spiritual, so nope, not for me, it's going to be too hard. 
you might have come away saying, I'm already doing Sabbath, and I hope, I hope that's true for some of you. Um, but most of you probably fell into those two categories. I know for me, when I got itched and nudged and pushed in the direction of Sabbath, and that happened just recently, I'll share that with you in a moment, I felt like I was in the first category. There's absolutely no way that I can take 24 hours off because if I do, it won't all get done. I have way too many demands. I'm a hugely important person, God. How can I stop? Like you've given me lots of things to do and I can't stop because if I stop, it won't all get done. Yeah, you can see why I'm still an apprentice of Jesus. (laughs) Either way, I'm certain everyone here can admit that this is a counter-cultural activity. It's opposite to the norm of society. And trust me, no matter what camp you're in, whether you're just starting or you're freaking out about it, I know exactly how you feel. Our world today moves at a record-breaking speed. We are overconnected, overstimulated, overtired, overrun with tasks that far outweigh the time we have in our seven days. We always are wishing for more time, and we're just plain overwhelmed. And we can see this in probably every human exchange. I mean, when was the last time you ran into someone at the grocery store or somewhere at work, and they said, hey, I am so rested and relaxed. I'm content in every aspect of my life. Things are awesome. That just doesn't happen. I mean, (laughs) I haven't heard it recently. What I generally hear is, I'm busy, I'm tired, I'm running the kids after school, I gotta leave 15 minutes early because I gotta get the groceries, because if I don't get the groceries, nobody's gonna be fed, or I'm just overwhelmed because I have 16 due dates and I'm not gonna get them all done, and so on and so on and so on. So why? Why are we like this? What is causing us to be so overwhelmed? You know, I have come to realize through my time that All of us has a desire at the center of our lives. We have this strong desire to move forward and avoid the things we don't like and move towards the things we do like. As humans, we have the drive just to get out of bed in the morning. We have the drive to go to work. We have the drive to get educated, to come to church on Sunday, to do bigger things, to get married, to have kids, and so on. Desire is a good thing. It's kind of effective. It gets us to where we want to go. It's a useful emotion, and it helps us accomplish so many, so many things. The problem is, is that our desire is generally never satisfied. We're generally not happy. We get to the next place in our desire wheel or target, and we're not happy. Actually, in Ecclesiastes, in the Old Testament, there's wisdom books. And in this wisdom book, I found this quite interesting. It describes this desire thing by saying the eye is not satisfied with just seeing. Like, imagine, right? What it was set to do is just to see, but it's not satisfied with that. It kind of describes the human picture. It's just never enough. It's like our desire bucket is never full, and quite frankly, one could say that the entry of sin, like at the beginning of time, like when Adam and Eve were in heaven, like Eden, this most amazing place, their desire for something more actually caused sin to enter the world. And so even though we were in this perfect place as humans, we craved more. So what gives? Why are we so restless? Why do we suffer as humans from restlessness? Let's unpack what it means to be restless so that maybe you can assess whether you're restless. Restlessness is is defined as this quality of being unwilling or unable to stay still. Who's tapping their foot right now? (laughs) 
<laughs> Not, no ability to stay still, and it's, and it's caused by our worry and boredom. Sound familiar? While this human condition of restlessness has been discussed, studied, theorized for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, where I see it most often right now, and you guys are all going to agree with me, is in this place called consumerism. This consumption of goods and services where we're never satisfied. And marketing professionals, anybody a marketing professional in the room here today? Yeah, okay. You love that we're unsatisfied. <laughs> you absolutely live off the fact that humans are restless. I mean, it's been proven that the average human being, you ready for this, sees 4,000 advertisements in one day. 4,000 advertising pitches, marketing pitches in one day. It's probably more than that, but that's what they could come up with as far as a statistic is concerned. I mean, if you think about your drive to church this morning, I wonder how many times your desire button was pushed. Or if you think about even your devotional time, you know, that time you're alone with God, if you're doing that first thing in the morning, you know, you might have popped on Instagram once or twice before you started just to kind of wake up, right? At least I know I have once or twice. And my desire button is pushed every time I do. These ads are all intentionally and strategically designed to leave you feeling deeply unsatisfied with your life. I remember when I was in a sales job many moons ago, I went to one of those cheesy sales conferences where they teach you how to sell things. One of the mottos of, at this particular sales conference, and my, my husband used to say this all the time because we were in sales together, was to find the pain. Yeah. Uh, meaning when you are pitching a sale to someone, find the pain of what it would mean if they didn't buy your product so that they could know if they didn't buy the product how much pain they would be in. And it, and it worked, generally. It worked quite successfully, and I left sales very soon after that. Um, but really, advertisers are just feeding into our human emotion of wanting more, our human emotion of being terribly unsatisfied. And so let me just do a little poll today. you got to be honest. I can barely see you because there's a light right in front of me, but I'm going to watch for hands. How many of you in the last 30 days have purchased something off social media influencers, like you saw something and you purchased it because you're like, I need that in my life. Put your hand up. Oh, I think there's liars in the room tonight, Tyler. <laughs> Today I do. Um, maybe, maybe there's not. Maybe there's not liars in the, in the church service this morning. Maybe they're just so, so spiritually disciplined that they don't buy anything when their desire button is pushed. But I can put my hand up quite easily to that because it happens to me all the time. Listen, likely before you purchase the new cosmetic or the pair of jeans or the new appliance or the new tool or the new running shoes, the ones you had at home were probably perfectly fine. They probably weren't even worn out and maybe even not even half used. But because your favorite TikTok influencer said you would look 10 years lighter or 10 years younger or 20 pounds lighter, you bought the pair of jeans. I might be speaking from personal experience here. Um, I'm not wearing jeans today for this very reason because I thought it would be too, you'd be looking at my jeans right now. Um, <laughs> Let me tell you this from personal experience, that my desire button, my feeling of unsatisfiedness leads me in all sorts of buying patterns and directions. And while I consider myself pretty smart, and even though I was in sales at one time, and I know that this is kind of the way things work, I fall for it, like every time. I see the same influencer saying the same thing, 
just in different faces and styles, and I think I need those jeans because it's going to make me happier. There's just this constant need for my heart to want more and to be a better version of the person that I am today. And I need you to not get me wrong when I'm giving you all these stats. As a psychotherapist, desire is like really important. When somebody comes into my office, I want to help them get better. That's why they're there. I have seen people struggle through and suffer the worst kinds of things. And their desire to get better is necessary. It's not all bad. It's just that it's constantly not satisfied. Constantly we want more. Constantly we're unsettled. John Mark Comer, who is kind of the guru that Tyler and I have been following for a little while, separately actually, we both started following him, has uh, given us much of our research, at least for me, for, for today's talk. And he calls this concept of desire the wheel of suffering. Welcome to church, everyone. We're talking about good things today. He helped me understand this human desire because of this Eastern concept called the wheel of suffering. It describes the human condition of craving and aversion. And I want you to know that I've tested this now in the therapy office, so I feel pretty good about saying that this is what's happening. Craving is chasing or moving towards your desire, the things that you want, and aversion is moving away from or running away from the things that you fear. Let me just use my TikTok example um, to show what I'm talking about. I watched a TikTok influencer, probably several, several with the same pair of jeans, um, she looked great. They looked great. Enter my craving. I want to look great in a pair of jeans. She made a point of pointing out that I might look slimmer in these jeans. Enter my aversion to not look fluffy. That's what I call it, fluffy. And I enter the wheel of suffering and make the purchase. The result of being in this cycle is that it's never-ending. Because the moment we achieve the thing that we're looking for, the thing that we're after, we create a new thing to chase. And we just don't get off. We're just on the hamster wheel chasing the next thing and avoiding the last thing. And I don't know about you, but for me, especially because I'm noticing it, it's just so exhausting. It's tiring. And, and I can't ever figure out why I enter the wheel again, <laughs> but I do. So is there a way? Is there a way off the hamster wheel? Is there a way off this craving and aversion thing? Is there a way to be okay with not running at all, just to get off and just be okay with the here and now and the present? And maybe just even enjoy the present? Well, how do we fight against restlessness of the human heart? Well, we could go into many reasons. Here I could provide psychological ways, behavioral ways, cognitive behavioral ways. I could take you through a whole bunch of things, but as an apprentice of Jesus, I feel called to tell you that one of the clear ways that we can step off the wheel of suffering is to at least for one day out of seven, just rest, stop, just be, and not worry about it for a little while. So here we enter Sabbath, Sabbath rest. As Tyler introduced the topic last week, I'm sure you're going to see that there's four movements that he's going to talk about. The practice of Sabbath involves stopping, resting, delight, and worship. I would have tackled just about any one of the four topics except for rest. 
<laughs> I am so good at stopping now. I am like a master of delight. That was my favorite one. Wait till you learn about that one next week. And I love worship, so it's not hard for me to worship the Lord. But rest, rest is where I struggle. And I think God tends to have a sense of humor, at least with me. He has a good chuckle because I'm eager to come and speak at churches, but he always provides me with topics that I am struggling with. And so I would say that rest for me is the hardest of the four disciplines that are found in Sabbath. And so here we go. We're going to tackle this together. We're all apprentices of Jesus here. So no matter where you are at in your journey, I hope whatever I say as an apprentice inspires you. Here we go into the Bible. Let's see where we get introduced to Sabbath. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 to 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, you know, creating all the things, like the big things, like everything. Um, And on the seventh day, he rested from all of this work. And then God blessed the seventh day. And he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating. I've always kind of wondered why God needed rest. I was like, you know, he's God. Like, this is kind of strange. Why does he need to rest? And I think that that speaks to my view on rest. Rest is sheerly from exhaustion and God could never be exhausted. That's not the view of rest that God is talking about here. God is talking about a different thing. And actually, Jesus calls this, in certain translation, rest for your souls. It's a way of looking at rest holistically. Rest for your whole being, your whole mind, your body, your spirit. Yes, of course, there is the obvious rule in Sabbath that Tyler attacked last week of stopping, stopping work, stopping paid work, stopping errands, stopping shopping, stopping chores, stopping. You know, that makes sense. We stop for 24 hours. But rest, rest is a whole different being. Rest is more than this. Yes, of course, it involves stopping, but it it also involves not worrying, not wanting not entering this craving and aversion wheel that we call the wheel of suffering. If we are resting from the wanting and the worrying, we actually step off of that wheel, the hamster wheel, the the cultural wheel that we're on in this society, and we just stop. That constant race of craving and aversion is over. We take a breath, we look back, we look forward, we sit in that moment and enjoy Jesus. Sign me up for this kind of rest. I want it. It sounds glorious. And quite frankly, I'm not sure I fully grasp the concept or I have ever felt it truly. That's just me being honest. I'm an overachiever, so this is difficult for me. But I fully grasp that I need to do it. And here comes the tension. So let's go back to scripture because I love when scripture points to what's wrong in my life and it's, I'm about to do it for you, so I, I apologize in advance. <laughs> the Ten Commandments are written about twice in the Old Testament. Once in Exodus, the first time, you know, when Moses gets them. Anybody seen the, the big movie? Yeah, anyway, I'm really dating myself right there. Um, once in Exodus when he addressed, uh, he gave them to Moses and the second time they're in Deuteronomy, when they were addressed again before the Israelites went into the promised land. There was about 40 years between those two incidences, so you have to understand God was speaking to two whole new commu- to a whole new community, a new generation of Israelites. There's a distinct difference between the two times that this, this command was delivered, and um, the second time it was delivered, it was kind of delivered to a different audience. So let's have a look. Deuteronomy 5, verse 12 to 15. This is a long one, so bear with me. 
Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, you have six days each week for your ordinary work. But on the seventh day, that's Sabbath day. It's a day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen, your donkeys. He even included the livestock. And, um, and any other foreigners living with you. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. But the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. And that is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Amen. So the two main differences here. The first one is kind of simple, but let me just point it out. It says here, observe the Sabbath. Well, we already do this a lot in our culture, actually. We observe holidays all the time. Christmas, Easter, we even call that, like, government calls it observing the holidays. It's meant so that we attentively look over and maybe honor this day. So for most people, even if they're not Christian, Christmas and Easter are days that they stop everything. We don't shop, we don't do anything, we're with family, there's usually good food, and it kind of mimics a Sabbath day, right? So I actually lovingly refer to my Sabbath now as Christmas Day, because for me, Christmas Day is like doing nothing day and just eating everything that I want. I probably will stop once the calories are too much. But anyway, it's like a Christmas day, and we observe the Sabbath now. As Christians, that's what we're called to do, to make it like a holy day. The second change, though, is where I want to focus my efforts today. The second change to this commandment comes near the end of the passage in Deuteronomy. And there's a reminder for the audience where it says, Remember, you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out of slavery. In Exodus, the commandment is grounded in creation, right? I read you Genesis before. It's grounded in this rhythm that God wanted for our lives, that on the seventh day we rest, and it's grounded in how he rested and observed what was happening around him. But this, this here, this in Deuteronomy, God's grounding this in freedom, freedom from slavery. Let me give you a little bit of context. In a sense, God is saying, hey, you were once slaves before, but now you're not anymore, so don't become slaves again. Huh, crazy. I was like, at this moment when I was doing my research. While maybe not completely obvious, if you think of the state of the audience in this passage, the changes are really important. The first time the command was given, it was to people who were slaves. Like they were already under uh, tyrannical leadership, cruel leadership with Pharaoh. And the world that they lived in was really oppressive. And the only people that actually could rest were people who were not slaves, was the rich people, because they had slaves to do the work for them. And so the world that they lived in was oppressive, and this was a reminder to live in the rhythms of creation. But this time, this second time it was given, it was to people who were about to enter the promised land, and the command was given to remind them to no longer be slaves and to not be slave drivers to anybody else. Remember who you are, you're no longer slaves. So the message here is really just to remind yourself, hey, don't become a slave to work again. I have made you free. Yeah, so here's where the rubber hits the road for me anyway. This commandment is based in the truth that it's an act of resistance to honor Sabbath. Because it's a personal choice to not be a slave to your work. And I think it's true for us today. I think this is 
absolutely relevant for us today, particularly when you look at the statistics. In Western culture, we work more than we've ever worked before. North Americans work 137 hours more than the Japanese, 260 hours more than the Brits, and almost 500 hours more than the, Fran the people in France. And I want to move to France. As soon as I heard that, I was like, this sounds good. And I like Paris, so it's good. Um, if you do a little bit more research, you'll see how addicted we are to work, and that God's war warning is still true today, because believe me, when I heard the next set of stats, I was like, mind blown. All of our efficiency devices, not your phones, I know that's what you're thinking of, but like I'm talking about the basic ones, like your dishwasher and your washing machine and the things that were supposed to give you more time so that you weren't slaving over a stove and stuff like that. Um, instead of them giving us more time, they've actually given us less time. It was speculated that when those things were created, we would only be working 20 to 30 hours per week because we'd have so much time due to the technology efficiencies. But since they were created in the 1960s, we're actually working 40% more than they were working in the 1960s. The Western world we live in works more than ever before. Second set of statistics. We also have more than we've ever had before. Believe it or not, ready guys, the average American home has 300,000 items in it. And if that's not shocking enough, when we have more than 300,000 items and we can't fit them in our homes anymore, we actually just buy storage containers which take up 2.3 billion square feet of space in America. 2.3 billion square feet. So if we can't fit it in the stuff we have now, we just buy more storage and fill it there. You see where I'm going. Regardless of these incredible, overwhelming stats, is, is that even though we have more stuff, our happiness rates are going drastically down in the West. In the 1950s, they've, uh, they've been on the decline, actually, since the 1950s. Depression rates are going up. Anxiety rates are going up. Everything is getting worse with regards to happiness. I don't think it's a coincidence, actually, that the happiness scores have been going down since our laws around Sabbath rest. Do you remember when we used to have Sundays off? Who's in the room old enough to remember that? Yeah, hello, me too. We used to have Sundays off, and our happiness rates, since that got taken away from us, are going down. Sunday used to be family days. Sunday used to be days where we'd go on long drives and go for walks after church. Even if we weren't Christians, we were going to church because that was just the norm. And we'd grab maybe an ice cream, and then we'd go home and have a nice meal or a nap. That doesn't happen anymore. Weekends are all consumerized. It's about buying more and going shopping. That's what we do. And if it's not that, it's filling it up with experiences. But we, our to-do lists are much longer. I want to get all this done before I die. I need to get it done. Sorry for the sarcasm in my tone, but after reading this research, I became frustrated with my own journey, my own cycle of suffering, because I realized that in every daily decision, it's really hard for me to escape this. I have cravings and aversions all over the place, and we live in a society that just brings it home for me. And so let me just summarize. We work more than ever before, we have more than ever before, and we're ghastly unhappy, <laughs> depressed and anxious. Again, welcome to church. I'm so glad you came. We're going to end there. <laughs> Kidding. I have hope for you. But basically, it's Egypt all over again. And the warning that we received at the end of that Deuteronomy passage to not become slaves again, guess what? We are just in a different way. 
Deuteronomy is just as much for us today as it is for those people that were hearing it for the first time. And we sell ourselves the story that if we work just a few more hours just to get ahead, to get onto that vacation, or to rise ourselves to the next standard of living, we'll be happy. But the truth is, is that we're not. And the statistics are showing that more and more every single day. So what if it doesn't have to be this way? Here's the hope. I hope that you can see why rest Rest on Sabbath day is actually just an act of resistance against the slavery of our culture. It's actually you defining that rest is more important than staying on that wheel, at least for one day out of seven. It's an act of resistance for so many reasons because it's saying to the world that work is is a good thing, but it's not the thing. It's saying that the stuff we have, it's all good. I love the stuff. I love the jeans, by the way. They were great, very successful for me. Um, but, But they're not as important as my life of apprenticing Jesus. You see, Sabbath is a way to break our addiction, and that's what it is. Put it in the DSM-5, which is my diagnostic tool. It's an addiction of wanting and craving and averting. Sabbath is a way to get us off the hamster wheel just to pause. Sabbath is a way to consciously say, I'm no longer a slave, God. I'm free. And I want to be free for this day. I don't want to think about any of it. So what does it mean for your Sabbath and practice of rest? I'm still trying to figure that out, as I fully explained to you. But as an apprentice of Jesus, I think paying attention to the rhythms and the pace of Jesus's life is where we get the secret sauce to rest. Like we look at the things that he said all the time. If we're reading our Bible, we pay attention. We probably scan over the things that he said so many times in our lifetime. But have you paid attention to his pace? Jesus was never in a hurry. He was never rushing. He was never out of time for the requests that were demanded upon him. He was all loving, all present, all the time. And he rested. He rested at the weirdest times. He rested at times that in our world would be seen as crazy, but Jesus was totally counterculture. He was totally living an upside-down life to the people that were around him, and if he was walking around here today, he'd be counterculture too, which is why, as an apprentice of Jesus, we need to see that rest is not a luxury, it's a necessity, because he tells us it's a necessity. The one story that kept coming up for me every time I thought about this practice of resting is the story of Jesus in the boat with his disciples. It always gets me because I know exactly how I would be reacting if I was one of the disciples in the boat. This is the story that's found in most of the Gospels. It's the story where Jesus had been working hard all day and thousands and thousands of people were around him and he was healing people and teaching and he was literally exhausted from the work that he was doing. And he went to his disciples and he said, hey, take me across the lake because I need to get rest, basically. And after this full day of teaching and healing, and then he was asked for one more thing, he got into the boat, they started to make their way across the lake, and a storm hit. There was a hurricane. It was so bad that the disciples were screaming out, thinking, we're going to die. And I know that I would be one of those disciples, even though Jesus was right in the boat with me. I'd be like, we're going to die. Yeah, I'd be freaking out. I'd be frantic. And many of you here today can say the same thing. You'd be paralyzed with fear, doing nothing, or running around, probably sinking the boat yourself. And there they look over. 
And what was Jesus doing? He was sleeping on a mat, like torrential storms, guys. And he was sleeping, passed out on a small mat from all the work that he did. There's a lot that we can learn from this story. There's so many ways you can go. As, as pastors and teaching people, we love stories like this because like, you can take it off in you know, 17 different angles. But for me, this was so real. He was sleeping when the turbulent storm was happening around him. He was sleeping and resting. And I, I want to say that he probably knew that storm was coming. And he's Jesus. He knows everything. And he knew that the disciples were going to freak out. And he knew that they would lose their faith. And he knew that they were going to be begging him to stop the storm. And they were. But yet he slept anyway. <laughs> because he had just finished a full day of work. And he was tired, and he knew that more work and more healing was right up the road, and he needed to rest. His body demanded physical rest. And he was unapologetic about sleeping. In fact, insulted when they woke him and said, What are you doing? And he looked at them and said, Yeah, you're worried? I'm right here. The ship's not going down with me in it. He rested. What like a clear picture of how important rest is. You see, the next few chapters of the story, Jesus is getting ready to cast out like demons and heal more people and work through his ministry until his death on the cross. And I think he knew that without rest, without physically resting, we would not get this teaching moment of how important rest is. We'd just keep hurrying along in our ministry lives, in the things that we're doing every single day to be Christians in this world. We would just be hurrying our way through to get it all done and missing the point that rest is actually how we do it. Working from a place of rest is that important. If Jesus needed to do it, then why don't I? So here's the, here's the scary part. As you begin this place of rest on Sabbath day, whatever that looks like for you, I want you to know that you're going to meet resistance. Jesus met resistance. We're going to meet resistance, right? This is an act of resistance. We are moving against the culture and it's not going to feel great the first little bit. You're going to have external resistance. People in your world are going to find this strange if they're not Christians. When you say, oh, I, you know, I'm just having a day where I'm just not doing anything. I'm like honoring Sabbath, you know. They're going to think that's strange, but I want you to de declare it. It's important. It's part of who you are as Christians to rest. It's telling the world that it's okay to rest. It's giving them permission that it's okay to rest. But you are going to meet resistance. They're going to think you're weird. And life is going to go on without you on that day. And we have this thing in our culture called FOMO. You ever heard of it? Um, and so when you're asked to go and do something, that FOMO button, that desire button, that craving and aversion button, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come out loud, loud and clear. And I want you to know that we are meant to be different. But when we are different, we are in a battle that is beyond us. The Apostle Paul talks about fighting principalities of power beyond us. And so when we attempt to grow closer to Jesus, guess what the devil wants? He wants us to not grow closer to Jesus. And so I encourage you to pray out loud and say, not today. Today I am resting. Today I am going to Sabbath because God calls me to. Second 
type of resistance and this one's the trickier one because the other one will get a little easier as you surround yourself with beautiful people like that are in this church right here. Internal resistance is the worst kind. A reminder that sin is not just around us in this world, but that we are sinners living in a sinful world and creatures of habit and we don't even notice when we're on the wheel of suffering anymore. So our internal resistance to getting closer to Jesus through the act of Sabbath and resting will be turned on high alert. Here is such an easy example from my life this week. Tyler and Lee, beautiful, invite me for lunch after speaking here. And I instantly, instantly want to go because I think it would be a fantastic way to start my Sabbath because I would be talking to them, praying with them, enjoying their home, eating a beautiful meal. Great way to start Sabbath. But my Sabbath day today is shortened because I'm working here this morning. And so my internal desire was to say yes to them. In fact, I almost typed yes right? And it would have been a good choice, but it wouldn't have been the best choice because one of the things that I do on Sabbath that's kind of like important to me because my body demands it of me is I need to sleep. I need naps or laying on the couch, not like just zoning out. Like I just need to rest my physical mind and body. And so my internal resistance button was turned on. And I've been practicing Sabbath quite religiously for a long time, but still, Still, I almost sabotage myself, you know? I'm still working on it. You will be working on it for the rest of your life. That internal resistance button, it's hard. It's, it's the hardest part because you're going to want to do all the things. But you have to make sure that your feet are pointing towards the direction of Jesus and not away from him. And sometimes the devil will like to tell you that that's a really good choice and it'll be masked in a Christian choice, but it's actually going to take you away from the things that matter most. And that's honoring Sabbath with physical rest. So as you enter the internal battle, I just leave you with this one thing to ask yourself. Will this decision bring me closer to Jesus or farther away? farther away from him. And if you can say yes, then it's a good choice. It's a good choice for Sabbath. But if you say no, or maybe not, then you have to step away from it. So I'm going to leave you with this last little bit of scripture that I cling to. I, my favorite psalm ever is Psalm 139. I really love it. If you get a chance to read it this week, I just, just open it up and read it and just like take your time and linger through it. But there's this one piece of Psalm 139 that gets me when I get into this mode of Sabbath that I think, you know, I, I, I am still learning. I am still challenged by this concept of spiritual discipline and what it looks like to live out my walk with Jesus, you know, 18 years later. It becomes easier every year, but I never, ever want to become complacent. And there are times in my journey that I try to run away from God's presence. I try to walk away from him. I try to, like, hide what's happened in my week, like he's not there with me, you know. Um, and Psalm 139 has got this sobering reality in it that reminds me that he's like right beside me the whole time and he sees everything and he's kind of chuckling and sarcastic with me and says, you know, Nadia, I saw that. But it says this in Psalm 139, verses 7 to 11 is what I've picked out for today. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I go down to the grave, you are there. 
if I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans from you, even there your hand will guide me. Even there. Even though I try to go the farthest ways away from him, even there he will gently guide me back to Sabbath rest. No matter how hard this discipline becomes for you, remember that even there, he will want you to come back to a place where you can abide in his presence, where you can celebrate his goodness, where you can stop and rest and delight and worship him for being such an amazing God who got you through another week as a Christian in this world. This piece of scripture, may it be your clinging piece of scripture when you're feeling far away from him next week and when you're trying to figure out this Sabbath thing. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, first of all, just let me honor you for giving me these words today. You are an amazing Father and your Holy Spirit guides me as I prepare for these beautiful words that come out of my mouth. I pray that they honored you. God, you are, you are a God that wants time with us. You are a God that no matter how far away we go, no matter how separate we become from you throughout our week, you still hold this sacred place, this holy place on Sabbath day where we can come to you and honor you and love you and be honest with you and confess to you how hard our week was. And Lord, I just pray that this community is empowered to be apprentices of Jesus, to practice the way that he taught us, to listen to his words, but also pay attention to the way that he lived his life so that we can learn to live and flourish and thrive as a community who is solely dedicated to you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this time together. Thank you that we live in a country that on Sundays we can come to church and we can be here and we can worship you and we can freely, freely say we love you. I never take that for granted. And so God, thank you for this Sunday experience. We love you so much, Jesus. Bring us back safely. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.